0: Good morning. Today's episode is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires because Brent, true or false, flat tire this morning?
1: Almost. Nail in the tire on the way here. We'll figure it out. Uh, we did get some feedback that at some point we need to shout out Holly Voldrich's Rainbow Jello.
0: Oh, that's right. How does that get brought up? It's amazing. It so, amazing. about the rainbow jello, in terms of the process of how it's made, oh. is it is like it public a, at all?
1: No, but I think it's like an all-day thing.
0: So, my guess and I will be the first to admit, my expertise in jello is <clears throat> at the rookie level. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but my guess is that you probably have to do multiple layers oh, of yeah. pouring, right? Yeah, So yeah. you like make it yeah, you put make in the like, fridge, make like red, and then, like red, and then you make
1: green on top of that. And then, yeah, I think it's literally an all day process. That
0: is amazing. So if you're a beneficiary of the rainbow jello,
1: it's the first thing to go at the church picnic. Like if it you're not, well, actually, maybe I don't even know if maybe she still does bring it now that we
0: there's like two billion people. It's like a revival, yeah. of the last church picnic. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is there's people that were serving coleslaw for like seven hours. Their forearms were sore the next day.
1: Which is a great segue to Chronicles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, no coleslaw in First Chronicles. Actually, fortunately, because coleslaw is nasty. Oh, coleslaw is great. All right, First Chronicles chapter one through twenty-four. Dare we say this might be the most challenging portion of Scripture. Folks will read through in the Old Testament.
1: Challenging in terms of understanding, no. Challenging in terms of nine chapters of names, yes. Just
0: sheer endurance, yes. It's yes. like a five k worth of genealogies, <laughs> yes. So yeah, the first uh, man, yeah. And so uh, I guess to recap, you know, we just finished First and Second Kings, and before that, First and Second Samuel. And in many ways, we kind of talked about this last week. But First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings basically documented the the time of Samuel, the prophet, all the way to the exiles of Israel and Judah. Mm-hmm. And Chronicles, although it was originally in a different portion of the Hebrew Bible, different it was in a different area. Mm-hmm. This is basically a recounting of that same history. Picking up ra- basically around David yep. at the end of King Saul's life, and then it basically does the same timeline all the way to at the end of Second Chronicles, covering the exiles. Correct. So this is a recounting. The first nine chapters are genealogies, and then this m- section, readers, this week will get all the way basically to the uh, the account of. David kind of getting the troops together to build the temple. Yeah. And it's been apparent it, they'll they'll kind of conclude this section with the uh, section on David uh, getting ready to basically entrust these instructions to Solomon after, you know, the Lord has made this covenant with David and that his house shall be, you know, that he'll be with them and there'll be a generation after him that'll be with the Lord and, and things like that. So it's a... Uh, it is a good, uh, good refresher on maybe what was just read.
1: Yeah, and I think you make a good point of it. It in the Hebrew Bible is the last book of the Old Testament, and so it it makes a little bit more sense there because it's kind of seen as a summary, kind of wrapping these uh, things together. Um. You know, where it's at in the English Bible is it feels like, oh, we just read all this. Um, so it does feel a little bit review. And, and obviously the genealogies, those are not insignificant genealogies. They're hard, you know, they're hard to press through, but it's like, you know, starts off Adam to Abraham, Abraham to Jacob. And then it, you know, talks about the genealogy of David and Judah. So it's it's tracking what we've been talking about in mm-hmm. terms of like the the seed of the of the woman From tracing Genesis 3. Yeah, yeah. So, but then, you know, after that it it does get back into kind of that bigger picture of the the kingdom that's established and uh, then eventually the the division of the kingdom and kind of tracing that history.
0: Yeah, so I mean I I know that you've been doing this kind of style of bible reading just straight through for several years now. I mean, when you get to this section of Scripture, do you have any tips or recommendations for people as they're kind of rereading basically the same... I mean, functionally the same chapters, at the very least the same accounts uh, as they just read through? Any word of advice for them to pro- fight against familiarity or monotony or...
1: Well, I mean, one thing is is it, it is still like a complicated history. Mm-hmm. So to have like another run through it is... Very helpful. Very helpful, actually. And as you mentioned, I think, last episode, this has a little bit more of a positive take on yeah. things. Um, I think you mentioned that, like, the David and Bathsheba account is not in here. Uh, but then there's some other accounts that are in here. Like, um, I've always appreciated the, you know, David's David's Mighty Men and uh, I think you know eventually those mighty men there's there's this uh desire that david has to have like a drink of water mm-hmm. from the well in jerusalem and then they go and get it for him and mm-hmm. he's kind of like man i'm, I'm unworthy i'm unworthy and he pours the water out which feels like wow that's kind of a jerk move <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like we just got you this tap fiji water yeah
1: but it's it's sort of a aspect of other times that we've seen david just be like you know it's a measure of his humility and just saying, mm-hmm. you know, only God's really worth mm-hmm. that kind of devotion and praise.
0: Yeah, and it does. But it, it, interestingly, it does. the One of the last sections that they'll read about, again, as we saw in, I can't remember now if it was in, I think it's the end of 1 Kings. But uh, when, is that right? Maybe it's the end of 2 Samuel. Oh, no, no. End of End of 2 Samuel similarly this re- this week people will also read about that census that david's does that mm-hmm. brings judgment on himself mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he's definitely uh, a praiseworthy man for many ways and there's also areas of character flaws that remind us that we're still longing for a messiah a ruler that will come from this tribe of judah through the line of david that will ultimately be a king that rules in righteousness mm-hmm. uh not only in execution of statutes and rules and in, in the way that they rule but also in their own character in their life as well so yeah. Yeah. Uh, this this reminder of uh, you know broken kingdoms and broken lives of kings mm. really should foster that development in, yeah. in our hearts so anything else no i don't i think that's
1: i mean kind of big picture that's that's where it's going
0: yeah so um yeah, I, I think just to just to kind of recap where we are, where we are in that in this in this in the story so far is that we are recounting the time of kings mm-hmm. and that the next phase of that is the divided kingdom, you know, and then after the divided kingdom, eventually the godlessness in Israel is so paramount that it actually as a form of judgment on Israel's disobedience Israel and Judah ends up getting exiled, Mm -hmm. which we'll read about later. Um, Kind of the aftermath of these exiles in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. That's right. But we will uh, cover those books when we get here. So that's record timing. This is going to be a 10-minute podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, we've been going a little long. We have been going a little
0: long. But because it's a little bit shorter, I think we would just answer some uh, heavy-hitting questions.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: All right, here we go. Question number one. As we're reading through the entire Old Testament, how would you... Oh, actually, I... <laughs> hello. So, yeah, I was dumb with me. Number one. Hello. As we are reading through the o- entire Old Testament, how would you res- respond to somebody who has this opinion of the Old Testament? It's prior to the birth of Jesus. It's irrelevant for me to come to know Christ to get to heaven. And also, the Old Testament seems to be dark, evil, sinful, even grotesque actions happening, and it is quite depressing
1: that's an honest question
0: which is much appreciated
1: yeah i appreciate this question and there's really about three or four questions in that one question Mm -hmm. um and so we might kind of break it down that way first of all saying it is prior to the birth of jesus uh if if you just pick up the bible in the new testament and just like well here's jesus you know we we miss the whole aspect of why does jesus need to come you know what's the purpose of him coming um we miss the um kind of that whole line of of how God is going to bring the Messiah into mm-hmm. the world. And so we could really have a, a very mistaken view of who Jesus is supposed to be if we just start with mm-hmm. Jesus and we don't, you know, we don't trace trace that back. Uh, so that, I mean, it's prior to the birth of Jesus, it is. And all of this has prophesied about his coming and it all also is Saying why he needs to come.
0: Yeah. The next part kind of gets into this idea that it's irrelevant for me to come to know to Christ to get to heaven. This idea, you don't need to know the Old Testament in order to get to heaven. And in one sense, that's absolutely true. You know, we're, we aren't going to be Old Testament scholars. That's not going to be a, a measurement of our, you know, worthiness to be accepted into heaven we're, we're saved through grace alone through faith alone and in christ alone but at the same time uh just because something is not salvific or just because something is not essential for salvation does not mean that it automatically qualifies it as unimportant mm-hmm. altogether mm-hmm. and i think you know probably probably the biggest point that drills that home is that 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 that's correct that Jesus never says you need to know the old Testament in, in order to get saved. But what he does say is that all of the old Testament points to me. Mm-hmm. So like in Luke 24, like uh, later on when we're talking about the road to Emmaus, Jesus basically summarizes the, the law and the prophets and the writings mm-hmm. saying that they were writing about the time that I would come here. Mm-hmm. So we actually read the old Testament with this attempt to try to get to know who the Christ that it points to. And that's why we're trying to do this podcast in many ways, is because we're trying to connect these two stories together. To Jesus. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I also think the reason why we should care about the Old Testament, well, let's start here. If our starting point is we have found Jesus to be the most compelling person that's ever lived, and we believe him to be the Messiah, the Son of God, Savior of the world, then what is important to Jesus needs to be important to us. And Jesus loved the Old Testament. (coughs) In fact, the Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus read. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus references the scriptures, and if you read the Gospel accounts, he does it all the time. Mm Either like formally or informally, or like sometimes he's saying, you explicitly, know, explicitly as it yeah, is exact, said in that's, Isaiah. That's that's better way to say it. Explicitly or implicitly. Oftentimes it's explicit. He's he's actually quoting scripture. Mm-hmm. Other times he's saying things that are like directly, you know, the the Jewish mind is like, oh, I know where that comes from. Mm-hmm. I know what what you know. I know what he's referring to there. I know mm-hmm. the the account of. You know the widow from Zarephath, or whatever. You know mm-hmm. they they know that, and so whenever Jesus quotes the scriptures, talks about the scriptures, he's not talking about the New Testament Bible. Mm-hmm. He's, he's talking, talking about the, the Old Testament. Testament Bible. Yeah, and yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, not only does he. Uh, not only does, do his words match up with the Old Testament, but his actions match up with the Old Testament as well. Yeah, yeah. So he very much so is is kind of the model Jew in many ways uh, of, of his obedience to the Torah. Simultaneously, he also is living a lifestyle that was controversial because of some of the ways that he was changing that's right that you know that his challenging uh, he he was challenging and that his life his death and resurrection would ultimately kind of uh change the way that we understand our obedience to god yeah um that you kind of touched i think you touched on well and then i think the other
1: the other piece that i would get to is you know that statement it's irrelevant to come to know christ to get to heaven is the end game is god's goal for us purely to get to heaven Mm Mm-hmm. Or is it to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind yeah. and love your neighbor as yourself, which you have to be born again mm-hmm. right, to be able to, 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 to experience that. So if the goal is to know and love God and His, to know and love him through his son, mm-hmm. Jesus, and then to be transformed into new people, mm-hmm. to be disciples of Jesus, the byproduct of that is we get to live forever with him. Mm-hmm. But if we make that the goal, well, we, the goal is just to get to heaven. Then we miss all of what God calls us to be about, mm-hmm. you know, in life, and we miss, you know, really being able to love God for mm-hmm. who He is. Yeah, you know. So if if we say, well, the goal is just to get to heaven, so what do I need to know about Jesus or what do I need to believe What's the about bare Jesus? Minimum. Yeah, then but I don't I think that's not what the goal is. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah.
0: It includes that, but it's yeah. more than that. Yeah. And it has much more of an account of what we're supposed to do in yeah. this life until that. Yeah. Until that yeah. time.
1: Yeah. But I, I I you know, that last part the Old Testament seems to be dark, evil, sinful, even grotesque actions happening, and it is quite depressing. It is. Yeah, I mean, you can't get away from that. I mean, I don't know that we would say that the the scriptures are dark and evil. I, well, I, we wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. But the actions of some of the people certainly are. But that's part of the point, is to see human nature mm-hmm. and to see the darkness of human nature and to see and this is why we need a savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not, it's not unlike... The Columbus Dispatch yesterday. right. right. Yeah. Describing what's happening.
0: Like, the things going on in Ukraine are just one of the many, many horrific, you know, what are these words? Dark, evil, sinful, and grotesque actions that are happening throughout the world. That's right. That we know of. Right. You know, so the reality is is those words describe the world that we live in today and we we do need we need hope uh despite that world that we live in and as we read through the bible we believe that the bible provides that prescription of hope found ultimately through jesus uh and the redemption that comes from from god alone you know Yep. and it fosters that longing for us for him to return right. as well.
1: Absolutely, great question. That's a great question. I appreciate the honesty of that question.
0: And and that's kind of the, that's the hope is that you know we wouldn't be, uh, just silently entertaining these questions or even doubts that we have. But if you're reading through it with somebody, that would be a great thing to talk to with somebody that you're, you're reading it with or writing in the question to us or asking one of the pastors here uh, at the, at the church about, you know, questions that you have about the Bible. It's great. Yep. All right. Question number two. Hello. We see in first Samuel that David has tremendous respect for Saul. Who's a murderous and evil ruler because of his position as King of Israel Uh, multiple times David is given the opportunity to uh, fight back and even kill Saul and decides not to. And even at one point in in chapter 26, uh, calls off this opportunity to kill Saul and says, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? I'm thinking about how far this principle applies outside of David and in our current world. England was the established authority over the colonies. Hitler was the established authority over Germany. Yet both of the, the rebellions against these rulers are accepted as good and justified today. Where can we find God's commands to have respect and loyalty to anointed government rulers? How far does this go?
1: Hmm. Another good question. Really good question.
0: Yeah, it's tough because in some ways, uh, one of the challenging things that happens is as we're reading through the old testament questions arrive that uh the answer um you know depending on when this question was asked in terms Mm -hmm. of if it was if this was being asked in old testament israel days the answer looks different than it would in uh the new testament days and the church beyond like the world that we live in today Right,
1: right so well maybe flesh out that distinction
0: Well, the Israel was a theocratic nation that this was, that this was, there was a God appointed ruler over a nation of people.
1: And God had specifically chose that nation Mm -hmm. to uh, have a unique relationship with and be you know, their intended purpose was be to be like a kingdom of priests. So yeah. in other words, they were supposed to show the rest of the nations what it looks like to live and fear the one true God.
0: Yeah. And so there's a lot of language in the Old Testament, you know, largely the entire Old Testament is largely about how Israel is to remain as Israel in their devotion to the Lord and should not become like uh, the the other nations that are around them. And and while there is some uh, prescription about trying to kind of inform and 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 uh, encourage the nations around them to kind of join Israel and and to grow in conformity to God's word, we see a much clearer and stronger emphasis on that inclusion of uh, all nations to be a part of God's people in the New Testament.
1: Well, the New Testament is a the the people of God mm-hmm. is a multi ethnic multi you know, it, it, it's the church, the global church, is made up of people from all kinds of different mm-hmm. languages, nations.
0: I didn't even know that phone worked. <laughs>
1: we have a. It's an office. We have phone. an
0: office phone ringing behind me, and I didn't. I don't know. You just you just keep going. I'll okay. see, I'll check this out.
1: Yeah, so I I think that's a very important distinction is to to kind of think through the the difference between god's working in old testament israel as a nation with an appointed um a god appointed king and what we find in the new testament which the, you know the kingdom of god is it is Multinational, yeah, in that sense, yeah, it's not comprised of one nation. There, mm-hmm. there is no Israel. Yeah, I mean, there, there is no, mm-hmm. no one nation has this unique relationship mm-hmm. with God the way that Israel did.
0: Yeah. The other thing that's
1: interesting is that this
0: nation was a theonomy, <laughs> meaning that the rules of God were the laws yeah. of society. That's right. Which is a huge difference of what we live today. Obviously, there's still some principles from God's word that yeah. informs our rules today yeah. uh, uh, in in the different governments that we have, like do not murder and, and yeah. things like that. But right. there was uh, a, a difference of understanding of how God's word related to society in Israel as it does in today as well.
1: So, yeah, so that's where I think it's a good question in this, in the sense of, you know, how does this, Apply. And I think one of the ways that we would have to answer that question is you know, each government has to, you know, if they're going to try to follow God's ways, they have mm-hmm. to filter their decisions through the values of Scripture, which may lead them to make, mm-hmm. you know, certain decisions. But I don't think, we can't say, well, there's a one-to-one comparison. Like, well, because David never did this, then that should never be done Mm -hmm. in any government Mm -hmm. by a Christian in in that government. At the same time, I don't think we could ever say, well, because Israel did this, then this this modern-day country... You know, if you're a Christian, must do that also uh, because there's just discontinuity there in terms of, you know, the the redemptive plan of God.
0: Yep. And so then I while I was unplugging the phone that I didn't know worked, (laughs) you didn't talk about Romans 13, did you? No. So in terms of today, I think kind of going to that that last question of where can we find God's command to have respect and loyalty to anointed government rulers? How far does this go? It's pretty amazing. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, Paul is instructing the Roman citizens that they are to be subject to governing authorities and even goes as far as to say that whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment and And says that those rulers are God's servant for your good, mm-hmm. which should not be understood as, uh, as a... A broad brush statement, meaning that everything a ruler does is approved by God. No way. It's meant to be that this is that government ideally is meant to be God's servant of uh, a- allowing um, individuals to live safe lives in harmony amongst one another. It's basically one of God's ways of common grace to all people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what were you gonna say? Well,
1: I was going to say maybe the if we're going to think old testament what what may apply more to us now is the the concept of exile when when israel was exiled into babylon yeah that's great they were not called to like you know as a part of your uh, devotion to god they were not called to like overthrow yep babylon that yep. was actually part of the judgment that they were experiencing and so even in jeremiah he's he's saying hey build houses plant gardens seek the good of your city of your city um knowing that it was it was a, a pagan yeah a pagan environment and but it was a witness of, of living in exile and i think that's probably a little bit that's probably a closer analogy for us you know we are living as exiles mm-hmm in whatever nation, with our ultimate allegiance to Jesus, but also recognizing that God has allowed these governments, you know, to be in existence and we're supposed to live obediently and respectfully. But, you know, in Acts, which is post you know, post-Jesus, post-death and resurrection, the forming of the church, uh, the disciples very much say, but n- now it is your commitment to obey God rather than man. Mm-hmm. So if if our government asks us to do something that would be in violation of our discipleship to Jesus, then yep. we, cho- we have to choose Jesus.
0: I had a friend, uh, he is a pastor in Kenya, once told me that, the way to remember it is, you disobey the government any time the government commands you to do something that God forbids, or the government forbids you to do something that God commands. Mm, there you go. And uh, that, so, and the other thing to keep in mind there is that just at, at various times and in different countries, there are certain rulers that are, you know, more, um, more to religious freedom and christian liberty mm-hmm. you know uh, even even in uh, you know uh, even as we think of like the israel example there's a difference between king cyrus who's yeah. kind of like hey you should go back but then you know king artaxerxes is like hey let's pause this is this is yeah. not. i don't want them to have freedoms and stuff like that so it kind of moves back and forth i think regardless though first timothy 2 Paul's saying that we should be praying regularly for kings and rulers in high places mm-hmm. that we might lead peaceable and godly, dignified lives. So the hope is that Christians should be model citizens to you know, the the outside world as a witness to those around us up to the point uh, in, until the government is commanding us to do something that God forbids or right. forbidding us to do something that God And commands. I think when
1: Christians find themselves in... Positions of leadership in government, Mm -hmm. then they, they have those, you know, challenging decisions to make of how do we filter, you know, our biblical values about people and them as image bearers of God. And when does evil need to be put down, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to, but that's a. I don't know that that's a question that we look to um you know Israel's war practices or whatever it's more like how do we look at the whole of scripture and who God is and who people are to to make those decisions. Yeah. That're really hard decisions.
0: Yeah. Great question. That's very very good. And I'm assuming that as we get into into the New Testament eventually more of these types of questions of trying to filter Old Testament principles through New Covenant commands, mm-hmm. you know, will be interesting. Okay, question 3. Hello. Hello. Here's something interesting I noticed in the first time, for the first time in 1st Samuel 10:9, God gives Saul a new heart after he's anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. This feels like a similar New Testament wording that describes regeneration or being born again. Many men with less than holy lives, such as Samson, received the spirit of God like Saul does in verse 10. But I don't remember any receiving a new heart. What does this mean in light of what we know about how Saul eventually deteriorates after his sin against God? You look like you got this.
1: <laughs> well, I don't, know if, I don't know about that. Um, it's, another it's, good question. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's really
0: good. So just to just to kind of recap, you know, if if it does seem to be that there is a unique divine intervention in Saul's heart what what conclusion can we draw from that if Saul basically ends up disobeying God altogether
1: mhm mhm i think we have to be careful of reading new testament theology even terminology into the old testament like we are pretty familiar with this concept of regeneration or probably more commonly known as being born again you know jesus uses that language of being born again like to become a christian you have to be born again which means the spirit of god has to enliven our dead sinful hearts give us faith in in jesus make us alive make us new people that want to love and know god that in the New Testament is a very clear work post-death and resurrection of Jesus by the Spirit of God in our heart, and it's a permanent work. So, but I think we have to be careful of, like, thinking of that new language of new heart and reading it back into Old Testament narratives and then, like, maybe saying, well, well, does this mean that Mm -hmm. he was, like, was born again and then Mm -hmm. he wasn't? Yep. You know, go ahead.
0: No, I was just gonna say that's that's just a a a good warning for Bible reading in general is to assume that uh, every word means the same mm-hmm. in every context. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. or uh, even there is is to. Kind of make that step forward and say this seems like this is, mm-hmm. uh, you know these 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 principles over here, even though there isn't like a direct connection. Mm-hmm. It'd be one thing if Jesus, you know, in John three is saying you must be born again like Saul. Yeah, right. Exactly. That would be way different because right. Jesus is the one that's his interpretation of that scripture would trump yeah, what we understand.
1: Absolutely. It to be. Or if there was like a fully developed doctrine of, you know, regeneration in the old testament Mm -hmm. then you would see like well what's going on here yep you know
0: so it's an interesting question because it does say in romans or sorry first samuel chapter 10 verse 9 that that god gives saul a new heart but what's also interesting is that samuel later ends up going to rebuke saul for his disobedience to his instruction uh he ends up making a sacrifice after they kind of plunder this Uh, this nation that they've gone into. He he offers all these things up for sacrifices to God, a seemingly good thing to do. And Samuel goes up and rebukes Saul by Mm -hmm. saying that you disobeyed the Lord. And he says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Mm. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you haven't kept what the Lord commanded you. Mm -hmm. So we have to deal with that tension there even of, it says in 1 Samuel 10, God gave him a new heart but at the same time whatever that new heart meant it at least evidently by three chapters later is not a heart that's after the Lord
1: right yeah and I think if we think about the the language that the Old Testament uses about like the kinds of hearts that are going to be um, devoted to the Lord it uses the language of like a circumcised heart which mm-hmm. is, very odd language but it it makes sense in the context of reading the old testament of saying like you know the the um the hardened heart needs to change and it um and then later in ezekiel and in jeremiah when it's talking about the new covenant or the new thing that god's going to do in the coming of jesus it talks about giving a heart of flesh and take away the heart of stone or the the hardened heart. And so that's more it seems like in the Old Testament that's more the language that is used to like look forward to the whole concept of being born again mm-hmm. or regeneration, you know. So not that this that answers every part of this question, but when they say he has a new heart it it could mean he could be saying he he had a different perspective he started thinking differently you Mm -hmm. know not necessarily this fundamental change in his inner person Mm -hmm. that now he became a fearer of god and a lover of god and devoted Mm -hmm. to god um in a way that was sustaining
0: yeah so i know that we're getting longer here in this question section but i'm going to kind of take a spin off And ask you a follow-up question in regards to this, because I've just noticed in our friendship over the years, one huge difference between you and I is, I, and it might just be because I'm 25 years old trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I tend, when I read an interaction about Saul, for example... I want, like, a a concrete Mm -hmm. explanation that Mm -hmm. I can kind of define, paragraph summary, here's what's going on, and that is the definitive solution to this Mm -hmm. seemingly textual problem. Mm -hmm. And you are just way more comfortable with Mm -hmm. (laughs) the kind of tension of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what seems to be a contradiction almost Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. what seems to be a discrepancy. Mm -hmm. I mean, what how would you kind of describe that v- version of reading as opposed yeah. to trying to systematize mm-hmm, or because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that i mean that's that's still an area that i i wrestle with
1: yeah and i would say i i still wrestle with that as well but i also think that i i've worked hard at trying to allow the bible to say what it says and not try to say okay here's the here's the logical categories that this needs to fit in because these are this is my logic and this is how this should rationally work for me or you know this is this is the way that i think it should mm-hmm. be resolved um and i've just kind of come to realize that there is mystery involved in, in mm-hmm. this and, and sometimes it's like and that's why we need to keep like understanding it and wrestling with it and trying to see how does this not necessarily fit into a tight box but how does it fit into the overall story of you know who Jesus is and what he came to do um, so I think that's probably the journey that I've been on is instead of trying to make the Bible say what I want it to say so that it fits into my categories. It's more like let's try to let the Bible say what it says Mm -hmm. and me, I need to kind of submit myself to it or to him Mm -hmm. rather than trying to get it into my my framework.
0: All of that reminds me of... Deuteronomy 29, 29. Mm-hmm. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just, that's a good kind of concluding summary of that, in that it's no mistake, the words that we have mm-hmm. in Scripture. Mm-hmm. God has revealed to the things that He has decreed we need. Mm hmm. And it's not just that we would be able to mentally wrap our minds around it, but that we would may do all of the words of this law. Mm -hmm. So I think that mystery even kind of puts us in this humbling posture, a a lowly heart position Mm -hmm. that can't say that (laughs) at least, you know, as creatures of our creator King, that there would never be a point that we could say, I get it. Yeah. I get it perfectly. You know, I understand it uh, because God is an infinite being and we are finite creatures. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's something I'm still growing in. And I think is a helpful category is let the Bible, let let the Bible give us the categories to begin with. And then let's let the Bible explain the Bible Yeah, because um, yeah. Some great questions, man. Really great questions. Hey, do you want to pray? And then, I also think we should pray just because in light of that question on government, we should pray for rulers and kings in high places too. Amen. So pray pray for our president, maybe some rulers around the world. Yep,
1: yep, yep, for sure. Father, thank you that we can engage with your word and ultimately through that know you and love you and be loved by you and have Jesus more clearly revealed to us as he says that, all of this testifies of him. And so help us to see how all of this testifies of him. Help us to see not only the relevance, but also the, uh, the beauty of that. Even in times when it's a bit challenging to read some of these portions of scripture. Uh, Lord, we've also thought a little bit about um, how we should respond to world leaders and um, governments and all that, uh, so we pray today. I just want to be obedient to First Timothy 2, and we pray that you would, uh, first of all, we, we thank you, because you tell us to be thankful for leaders, um, but we also pray for them. And, and ultimately, we pray um, for them to have new hearts uh, in the, the way that Jesus described, of being born again, so we pray that you would not only give wisdom to our president and to our elected leaders, uh, but we also pray that you would give them new hearts that want to know you and love you and follow you. We pray for world leaders um, that are uh, some, even right now, that are, you know, involved in uh, just atrocities. And so we pray that you would bring them to repentance and Mm -hmm. bring them out of uh, Mm -hmm. that way of thinking and Mm -hmm. just bring them to repentance, Lord, we pray. And for all people in all of these places that have just such difficult decisions, we pray that you would give wisdom Mm -hmm. and that you would accomplish your purposes. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Got it. (laughs)